Did you know that according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 48% of Amarillo is single? I didn't know there were that many singles in Amarillo. But this is actually consistent with the uh, Pew Research Center that did a national uh, survey that found out 47% of U.S. adults are single. And this is particularly interesting when you measure this compared to the 1990 statistics. In 1990, 33% of the nation's adults were singles. But now it's 47%. Why is this growth in singleness? Why so many people are reluctant to get married? Well, of course, the rise in singleness could have in part to do with the, the divorce rate we have. Uh, currently, uh, first-time marriages, uh, 43% of them are entering in divorce. Uh, 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And as children are divorced, many young people are reluctant or resistant to get married. They don't want to go through that pain. So what they decide to do, if anything, if they're in a relationship, is to simply live together. But if you've been with us through this journey through 1 Corinthians, you know that that's not God's desire uh, for couples. That's not what He intended originally. God wants a man and a woman to make a covenant bond to become one flesh together in the covenant bond of marriage. That's God's original design. We find that in Genesis chapter 2. When God made Eve for Adam, in fact, you may remember when we looked at that a couple of weeks ago in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the first not good in the Bible is when God says of Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. And so he takes a rib or a part of the side of Adam and makes this beautiful woman named Eve, and, and they become one flesh. And as Jesus says in Mark 10, what God has brought together, let no one separate. Yes, God's design is that a man and woman would come together and become one flesh in the lifelong covenant bond of marriage. But unfortunately, many in our day and age are resistant or reluctant to become married. The single rate, the single percentage of our population continues to grow from 33% in 1990 all the way to 47% nationally, 48% locally. So with so many singles, how is the church doing and ministering to the single population? The truth is, most churches like ours do a pretty good job of ministering to families. We, we've got this great uh, preschool uh, program with a new uh, indoor preschool playground. We've got a great children's staff. We've got a vibrant children's ministry. We've got a, a new youth house with a growing youth ministry. We do a great job ministering to families. But what about singles? What do we or what does the church in general have for singles today? We may remember a couple weeks ago I pointed out that uh, my first call out of seminary was to be the singles pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston. And I was the college and singles pastor. And if you know where that church is located, it's on Main Street. And it's just a few blocks from Rice University. In fact, I used to do a Bible study with the Rice football team. And the Rice football team needed a lot of prayer. They still do, okay? So <laughs> season's about to begin. Start praying for those Rice owls because every year they've got to play the University of Texas, right? In fact, the game's next Saturday. It's not going to go well for the Rice Owls. In fact, when I was uh, doing that Bible study, Vince Young was on the University of Texas Longhorns football team, and they won a national championship. And our prayer was not for a miraculous victory against Vince Young. Our prayer was for no injuries. Lord, please don't let anyone get hurt today. You may remember, actually, when uh, President Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, uh, gave his great moon speech about why we should take a man to the moon. It was at Rice Stadium, and he said these words, But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? 
He answered that question by saying, we choose to go to the moon, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they're easy, but because they are hard. You know how he said it with Matt Massachusetts accent. <laughs> That's why Rice Place, Texas, it's hard. It's hard for a school of 8,500 students to play a school of over 50,000, right? Uh, and I learned, actually, that the reason that Rice plays UT every year, not just because of tradition and their old Southwest Conference rivals, but actually Rice gets to split the revenue from the ticket sales of that game, and so they make a lot of money, and that actually pays for most of their season. That's why they play Michigan State. And basically they spend the preseason just praying that no one gets hurt, and they wait until the real season starts when they can play teams they might be able to beat like SMU. So you see Murray telling that uh, Rice can beat SMU. Yes, while I was there, I did a, a Bible study with the Rice football team. I had an intern who helped do a college ministry with the Rice volleyball team. But I also had singles classes. I had a couple of classes, one called Crossroads, another one called Bridges. And we had a network of small groups for singles. And, and First Presbyterian Church of Houston made this financial commitment to have a singles pastor over singles in college. One, because they're right by Rice, but also because over 50% of the population in Houston at that time were, were single. It was a city known for lots of singles. And, and it was a great ministry, and, and God certainly bore a lot of fruit out of that. But what does the Bible say about being single? Is there a blessing in singleness? Well, as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to see the Apostle Paul, who was single, just as Jesus was single, points out that there's a, a unique blessing to singleness. And there's even a word for married people today. So please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 25. It may be found on page 1215. 1215 of that Red Pew Bible, I would encourage you to pull out that Red Pew Bible and keep it open throughout the, the message as I make reference to the text during the sermon. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit you inspired Paul to write this powerful letter of encouragement, instruction, and conviction to the church in Corinth. Lord, just as you spoke through Paul to the church in Corinth so many years ago, may you speak to us as we read these words. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse 25, listen to God's word. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing." And those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But who is ever firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this, is, this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll look again at verse 25, that first verse. Now concerning the betrothed, or the engaged. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we talked about the fact that in 1 Corinthians there's a shift that takes place at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul begins to respond to questions that the church in Corinth has been asking him. Paul is writing this letter from um, Ephesus. He's in the city of Ephesus. He's gotten word from Chloe's people that there's division within the church. He's addressed that already. But now he's trying to address specific questions they've asked of him. And you can tell by this statement now concerning the betrothed. They had asked him about people who were betrothed or engaged to others. Should they go ahead and get married or maybe they should remain single and celibate? What do you say, Paul? Well, if you remember last week, we talked about Paul saw the value of marriage. He certainly thinks that marriage is a good thing, but as a single man, he also sees that there are, there are blessings in singleness. And he points out that, you know, uh, if you burn with passion, it's better to go ahead and get married because sex is only supposed to take place between one man and one woman in the covenant bond of marriage. That's the place for that. If you burn with passion, then better to marry, but only marry in the Lord, right? But he says then, if you're single and you're able to stay single, well, that might be better for you. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. What is this present distress that Paul is talking about? Why does he continue to say it's better to remain as you are? He said that early in the first part of 1 Corinthians 7 that we looked at last week. He's saying it again here. Remain as you are because of the current distress. What is this current distress that Paul is talking about? Well, if you read the book of Acts or even Paul's letters, you'll see that, that very early on in his ministry, Paul began to experience very serious physical persecution. Uh, you may remember that while in uh, Lystra, he was actually stoned and left for dead. While he was in Philippi, he was in, flogged and in prison. Paul knew that following Jesus and making disciples and planting churches could lead to persecution. And he's thinking to himself, would it be a good idea to get married in that kind of context? In the midst of this present distress, do you want to bring a spouse into this ministry so they too might have to experience that persecution with you? Is that ideal? And so he writes, in light of this 
present distress. It's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife if you're married? Do not seek to be free. Stay married. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. If you read all of Paul's letters, you'll see that in Ephesians 5, he actually sees marriage as the best illustration of the love that Christ has for his church. That when a husband will love his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife will, will respect her husband, then that marriage relationship can be a great witness of the love that Christ has for his church. And so Paul's not against marriage, but, but he realizes that because of the current distress, maybe it's better if you remain as you are when you were first called. He gives a better explanation in verse 28. He goes on to 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What is this appointed time? You may remember that Paul got to see the resurrected Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus lived and Paul lived at the same time. And, and you may remember the story. Paul was originally there when they were persecuting Christians. He stood in approval when Stephen was stoned to death, one of the first deacons of the church. And then Paul was on the way to Damascus. He was going by his Jewish name at the time, Saul of Tarsus, going to Damascus to go persecute more Christians. But then Jesus from heaven blinded Paul. And Paul in blindness and fear said, you know, this voice from heaven said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And so Paul was blinded, but eventually he was able to give sight and to truly understand that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so he began to preach, but as he was preaching, he was experiencing persecution. And all the while, he was doing it with a sense of urgency because he believed that Christ could return in his lifetime. That who knows, that we are closer to the day of, of the return of Christ than we were before. And we know from the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 that when Jesus returns... He will judge the living and the dead. We say this in the Apostles' Creed. We'll say it later in this service. And so the question is, is everyone ready for the return of Christ? Because if you're not in Christ, that judgment will not go well. But if you recognize that Jesus is Lord, then you will celebrate his return. But not everyone is ready. And so Paul was very diligent in planting churches wherever he could. But it's important to note that while Paul is saying that you should remain as you are when you were first called, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Paul was never advocating for Lone Ranger Christianity. Paul was always in community with others as he sought to make disciples of others. Jesus, who was single, Paul, who was single, they ministered with, within community. They made disciples in community. Yes, it's true. In Genesis 2.18, God says of Adam, it's not good that man should be alone, and so he makes a helper. He makes Eve for Adam. But that doesn't mean that everyone necessarily has to get married. Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. But we are called all to be in community. As we continue reading through 1 Corinthians, we're going to find that in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul points out that we're all members of the body of Christ, and the hand cannot say to the head, I don't need you. We all need each other. Whether married, single, divorced, widowed, we all need each other, and we all have different gifts and abilities to help serve the body of Christ together. And as a single man, Paul saw that he was able to serve the Lord with undivided devotion. When he was traveling to cities like Thessalonica or Philippi or even Corinth, planting churches, he wasn't worried about his wife or his children back home. He was able to serve the Lord with undivided devotion. 
But I also think it's important to point out that while as a single person you're able to serve the Lord with undivided devotion, in Paul's ministry companions, many of them were in fact married. He started the church in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila, who are a dynamic ministry couple who were living on mission together. Yes, shouldn't we all seek to serve the Lord with undivided devotion? I mean, if both a husband and wife are focused on the mission of Christ together, then they can be focused in serving together with undivided devotion, making sure that well, their marriage is on mission and making disciples of Jesus. There's a great book that uh, was written, I left it here, by Francis Chan and Lisa Chan. Francis is a pastor and Christian author. It's called You and Me Forever. I want to show that to you. And in page 11, he opens up the book by saying this, many people will tell you to focus on your marriage, to focus on each other, but we discovered that focusing on God's mission made our marriage amazing. Their marriage became amazing when they focused on the mission, that the idea is that whether you're married or single, we should be focused on the mission that Christ has given to each one of us, no matter what stage we're in, and what is that mission exactly? He goes on to explain in page 98 of his, of his book, he says, making disciples, the Great Commission, right? Making disciples. Make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words, make disciples. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on this earth. True discipleship involves opening up our homes, schedules, and resources to others in order to allow them to see Christ and follow Him. You exist to make disciples. Your marriage exists to make disciples. You don't want to stand before God at the end of your life with no disciples. Restructure your life. Reprioritize. You exist to influence others to make disciples. When a husband and wife and when a single person is focused on making disciples, then they serve God with undivided devotion. Where that's the priority above anything else. It's to make disciples of Jesus, to help point others to the good news of God's love, to, to be a witness of that love and the way that they relate to others, seeking to be servants first. After all, isn't that what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, that He is the Son of Man, came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be servant leaders who seek to serve together with undivided devotion. So if you have a, a friend or a coworker or a classmate or a neighbor who's single, what should we tell them? We should invite them to our church. Even though we don't have a, a singles ministry or a dedicated ministry, we can see from Paul's ministry that he ministered among marrieds and singles. They were all a part of his ministry. He started the church in Philippi with Lydia, a dealer in purple. And it says that she and her entire household were baptized. Chances are she was either a widow or divorced, but it was her household because she was the head of the household because there was no man that she was living with at that time. Either her husband had died or she was divorced. We know that Jesus was single. Paul was single. Yes, singles have a great gift of being able to use their time and talents to help do the work of God's kingdom. As I shared last week, when I was the singles pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston, the most active demographic in our missions ministry were the singles. When we were doing refurbishing uh, uh, ministry together, we are helping refurbish homes after uh, Tropical Storm Allison in Houston. 
It was the singles who could commit their Saturday to help serve, or when we were doing Habitat for Humanity, it was the singles who could help serve because, well, the married couples had kids who had soccer games or baseball games or basketball games, but the singles could serve with undivided devotion. If you're single here today, how are you using your time, talents, and treasures to live on mission for the sake of God's kingdom? Because you're in a very unique season where you can serve the Lord with undivided devotion. Now, the Lord may call you to get married someday, and that's a great thing. But the key is, as Paul has pointed out, that it's the Lord who's bringing you together. As Paul will go on to write in uh, first, Second Corinthians, his second letter to the church in Corinth, in Second Corinthians 6, we must be equally yoked. You need to find someone, if you're single, if you feel called to get married, someone who loves the Lord and is devoted to the Lord as you are, that you might grow in your marriage together. I remember when I was um, dating my wife, Sarah, you know, I was a consultant with Pricewaterhouse at the time, and I was making pretty good money for a single guy in Dallas, but I was feeling this call to go to a seminary where I knew I would be making no money for three years. And so we were getting pretty serious, and I was basically trying to check out how serious she was about this relationship. And so I said, hey, you know, today I'm a consultant, but, you know, in a year I'm going to be, I'm going to be on a seminary student. I'm not going to have much money. And, and, and when I get out of seminary, I don't know where God may call me. Who knows where God will call me to serve his church? Who knows where? And Sarah, with a great response, said, if the Lord called us to Africa, I'd be willing to go. That's a good answer. I was like, man, that's good. Thankfully, he only called us to Amarillo, so that's good, right? <laughs> She's from San Antonio. We're native Texans. We're, we're back home in the, the, the homeland. I went to school in New Jersey, so this is great. We're good to, good to be back in Texas. But you want to find somebody who's equally devoted to the Lord as you are. So you can serve the Lord together with undivided devotion. Now, husbands and wives, is your marriage on mission today? I look around, I see some great couples. We've got Priscilla and Quillas living here, Alan and Vicki Keister helping start Heal the City, Bruce and Rosie Doss who served for decades with Navigator Ministry, Nancy and Scott Gilmore who have been discipling kids for decades within this church. As a couple, have you talked about your mission and your ministry? Of course, it begins with your own children. We've got to make disciples of our own children. But what about your children's friends? And what about your coworkers? And what about your classmates? And what about your neighbors? Are you inviting them to join us to be a part of God's kingdom work here at First Pres? Because the fact is, whether you're married or single, there's a place for you here at First Pres. I know we don't have a singles ministry per se, but any one of our adult Sunday school classes is open to singles. We'd love to have you come. And having done singles ministry, I know that sometimes it can feel awkward as a single person to walk into a class where everybody's sitting next to their, their spouse. But we've got classes where there are no spouses, I promise you. Because uh, the women's Sunday school class, uh, Sunflowers, led by Carol Smith, there are no spouses there. It's just the women, just the wives. In fact, some of the women are single. Women of Worth, led by Lindsay Palmer, who just read our scripture. Uh, that's all wives. That's all women. And we've got a men's Bible study, led by Daryl Schmidt. And if you want to know about these classes, you can get this brochure. Daryl's classes in 205. It's just a men's Bible study, just a group of men. No wives, just guys. And most of our small groups are actually gender-specific. We've got men's Bible studies throughout the week. If you want to know more about that, talk to Murray. We've got women's Bible studies throughout the week. If you want to know more about that, talk to Emily Wood, our women's director. But there's a place for all of us to serve together, knowing that each one of us bring unique gifts, time, talents, and treasures. Singles have more time often than marrieds. How are you making the most of the time? Because as Paul has pointed out, the time is short. We don't know when Christ will return, and we don't know when we will, when we will leave this earth. So as Francis Chan said, at the end of it all, when I have to stand before Jesus, I want to be able to say, I made some disciples. 
I pointed others to Jesus. You see, the reality is in our culture that we're living in today, there are so many different things that our culture would tell us we should pursue above the Lord. And when we pursue anything above the Lord, we've made that an idol. As we can see from our Exodus passage, idolatry is one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit idolatry. And this Wednesday night, Murray, David Mull, and I are going to begin teaching a class uh, by Timothy, uh, on Timothy Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. If you don't have this book, it's a great book. You can pick it up in our library. and we'll be, we'll be selling the books Wednesday night, 630 in the parlor. Love for you to join us. But Timothy Keller points out that anytime we, we give priority to anything above the Lord, we've made an idol of that thing if we make it an ultimate thing. And he points out that we can even take good things like our family or our kids and we can make them idols if we make them ultimate things. If we allow those things to be our ultimate identity rather than our relationship with Jesus. But the fact is our relationship with Jesus should inform every other relationship we have. Reminds me, uh, when I was uh, at Trinity University in San Antonio, I was involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and Leon Filia, who was the staff director of InterVarsity, he got married uh, to his wife, Debbie, and they were happily married. And as he was married, I asked him, you know, how was his marriage, you know, helping his ministry? And he told me very candidly something I'll never forget. He said, you know, when he was single, he had more discretionary time to do late-night Bible studies or retreats with students. But now that he's married, he can't commit that same amount of time. But the quality of his time is that much better. Because he could see how God was using his marriage to make him a more faithful follower of Jesus. God was using his marriage to make him less selfish and more selfless. Where he sought to put the needs of others before his own. Just as Jesus did for all of us. And gratitude for God's love. May we seek to put the needs of others before our own. May we make sure that Christ is paramount, that we don't allow anything else to take precedent above our relationship with Christ as we seek to serve together. Keller says this about how to resist the idols of this world. This is a little preview of our class on Wednesday nights. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods, and he talks about the counterfeit gods of money, success, sex, power, even our children can become a, a counterfeit God if we allow that to become what defines us. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one, the living God, who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross, is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you, and if you fail him, can truly forgive you. My brothers and sisters, the key to living a, a life that's undivided in our devotion is making sure that we put Jesus above anything else. Whether we're married or we're single, we're called to serve the Lord above anyone else in gratitude for his service to us. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, as we read this text about singleness and how Paul saw the blessing of singleness that gave him great mobility and freedom more time to serve others, Lord. I pray that every single person here would, would find a way to minister to others. And if they haven't yet found that, Lord, they might talk to Murray and, and help them find how they might serve, whether it be inside the walls of this church or within our greater community. But Lord, we can see from the life of Paul and the life of Jesus that none of us are to be alone. We're all called to be a part of Christ-centered 
community, for that's how discipleship happens. So God, I pray that each one of us would find a, a Sunday school class or a small group to be a part of, whether we're single or married or divorced or widowed, a place to grow in Christ together. I pray that all of our marriages might live on mission, that every single person might live on mission with an undivided devotion to do you out of gratitude for your great love for us. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.